0: Terms apply.
2: Hey moms, future moms, dads, future dads. Welcome back to Pregnancy Pros Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. A lot of you might be in the first half of your pregnancies, meaning earlier than 24 weeks. Well, that means you're in the decision portion of the pregnancy. This is where you decide if you want genetic carrier screening or screening for common chromosomal abnormalities, such as Down syndrome, which is an extra copy on the number 21 chromosome, Edwards syndrome, which is an extra copy of the number 18 chromosome, or Patel syndrome, which is an extra copy of the 13th chromosome. Well, to get the latter screening, you will be deciding whether or not you're going to get what's called non-invasive prenatal testing, which is abbreviated as NIPT. Now, NIPT is a pretty good test. It's a blood test. So, There's no risk to the baby in getting this done. It's not the needle test. People confuse that. That is the genetic amniocentesis or even the chorionic vela sampling if you're getting it very early in pregnancy. Those are your two invasive testing. Your NIPT or your non-invasive prenatal tests are blood tests. It's a blood test, okay? Its sensitivity for detection of Down syndrome or the extra copy of chromosome 21 is about 99.2%. It's 97.9%. sensitive for detection of trisomy 18, which is Edwards syndrome. And it is 91.9% sensitive for detection of trisomy 13, which is Patel syndrome. Now these are average numbers of the three common companies, which are maternity 21, Panorama and Envision those are three companies that make this type of genetic screening test that screens the baby not you the baby for the three most common types of chromosome abnormalities that we just named and it also will give you the gender but this test can screen for a lot of other stuff some of which are super rare so what's the issue with that you may ask well the sensitivity for other conditions for the test Are much lower. Okay. We're talking anywhere from 40 to 80% sensitive. Which means that it's only capturing 40 to 80% of the cases. And there are, because the sensitivity is so low, it's going to have a lot more false positives in that. Okay. So conditions such as the George syndrome only has a sensitivity of 75% in most recent studies. It's okay if you don't know what the George syndrome is because it's super rare. Okay, so if you have a test that's positive for that, then I would say you want to do something confirmatory. Okay, I usually reserve extensive screening like this, meaning screening for more than just the three most common things in the gender for if there are findings on your ultrasound. And really, if there's finding on ultrasound, then you may want to consider something a little bit more definitive, like a genetic amniocentesis, which is when we insert a needle into the uterus after the 16th week and we draw fluid from around the baby and send that off for the baby's genetic makeup. Or if you're really early and you have findings, then you can get a CVS, which stands for chorionic velous sampling, which basically takes a sample of the cells that are in the placenta and sends that off. Now, people say, oh, the CVS and genetic amniocentesis do the same thing. No, they really don't, okay? They're both genetic tests, okay? Meaning they're actually testing cells, but they are different in that one is sampling the placenta and one is sampling the actual cells from the baby that flake off and enter the amniotic fluid. The one that samples the placenta, the CVS, there's a 1% chance that the cells in the placenta or the afterbirth are different than the cells of the baby or they have two different makeups in the placenta, and of course the baby has one different makeup. Okay, that's called placental mosaicism. Okay, so you can't rule that out with a CVS, okay? You're testing the placenta, you're not testing the baby. With the amniocentesis, obviously you're ruling that out because you're actually testing the the baby's actual cells. Okay, now I don't want to confuse the NIPT with carrier screening either, okay? Those are two different things. Carrier screening is a blood test as well, but the carrier screening tells if you are an asymptomatic carrier for rare autosomal recessive conditions. What are those, right? What does that mean, autosomal recessive? Well, those are conditions that both you and the father of the baby have to have for the baby to have the actual disease. So you would be a carrier, meaning you have a gene, but not two genes, okay? that express the disease. So you're asymptomatic. And the father of the baby is also asymptomatic, but has this gene, but only one defect, okay? When the cells split and the baby gets half of your genes and half the baby's genes to make a complete gene pool, if they inherit each defective gene from each parent, then the baby can have the disease. Okay, so carrier screening tells if you are a carrier for anything that can potentially be passed down from your baby. doesn't screen you for everything. It screens you for the most common things. There's about 14 conditions. But if you have issues in your family and you know a, a specific genetic condition, they can screen you for that specific carrier status. And honestly, with carrier screening, there are up to 274 conditions, or genes we can now screen moms for, okay? And then in turn, test the dad as well if the mom is a carrier of anything. It's fascinating how much stuff we can find out now. So those are different. Carrier screening and non-invasive prenatal genetic tests of the baby, two different things. But they're both blood tests. But before that 24-week period, really before 20 weeks, you are gonna be offered those two tests and you can decide If you want that done now when should you get this screening so there are two main times when we usually offer this either early like the first trimester between 11 and 13 weeks gestation okay that's when we would do an ultrasound to look at the thickness on the back of the baby's neck and if that thickness or the nuchal translucency is more than three millimeters then we know that there's an increased association with either heart defects or genetic problems okay we would also offer you the blood test at that screen, at that time of the ultrasound. Or if you didn't have that ultrasound or you didn't want early genetic carrier screening or genetic testing, then we would offer you testing again when it's time for your anatomy scan, which is usually 18 to 20 weeks. That's that long ultrasound where we look at the baby from head to toe to make sure everything is completely normal with the baby. So. Whether we find something or not, we're going to ask you if you want testing or, you know, genetic testing with either a definitive test like we talked about before, like the amniocentesis, or if you want the screen with the blood test, which tests you for those three most common chromosome abnormalities, trisomy 21, 18, and 13, and carrier screening, okay, to tell you about those rare things that you could be carrying that can be passed down to your baby if... father of the baby also is a carrier okay so we'd ask you that 18 to 20 weeks now if we see something on ultrasound depending on what we see we would also ask you you know do you want non-invasive prenatal screening because i see something that is related to down syndrome or trisomy 21 or edward syndrome now if we saw findings that were more consistent with a syndrome that did not get screened for with the NIPT then we would go straight to genetic amniocentesis and obviously you always have a right to get a genetic amniocentesis even if you have a normal baby if you want to make sure that your baby is not in that small percentage of babies that are normal with a genetic defect then you can always get genetic screening as well you just have to understand that invasive genetic screening does carry a risk so if you have chorionic villus sampling or the CVS that you get done at 11 to 13 weeks, which reminds you it samples the placental cells, that carries about a 1 in 200 to 300 chance of losing a pregnancy. If you get a genetic amniocentesis, that has to be done a little later after the 16th week. And that carries about a 1 in 300 to 500 chance of miscarriage as well. Now, both of those are very, very low risk but we have to tell you about the risk because sometimes it's not worth the risk, right? Like some people come in and they say, oh, Dr. Plenty, can you tell the paternity of the baby? I want paternity testing. Well, yeah, you can do an amniocentesis to send the baby's cells, you know, that amniotic fluid to test the baby's cells for paternity, but why would you wanna carry that risk just to find out who the father of the baby is before you deliver? That's something I usually tell parents, you know, I know this is like a very confusing time, but you don't want to risk anything if you don't have to, if there's not anything wrong with your baby for paternity, you want to do that testing later because that's things you can find out later. Okay. That's not anything that's, that's life threatening. So, um, I use a reserve genetic testing in the form of a, something invasive, like a needle test, an amniocentesis. If it's something that's going to change the management that we do, okay? Or if it's going to change the diagnosis. But paternity and stuff like that doesn't. But either way, you can get any of those tests, even if you had a completely normal baby. You can get a blood test or the invasive test. Now that you know a little bit more about the non-invasive genetic screening, Let's go to some cases.
3: Our first case is a 23-year-old who is 21 weeks pregnant with her first child. She had a non-invasive prenatal test, an NIPT, that returned concerning for Klinefelter syndrome. She has no medical problems and no family history of genetic conditions. She presents for a consultation for ultrasound and genetic counseling.
2: All right, so the NIPT... Or the non-invasive prenatal test, which is really not a test, it's a screen, because it's going to test placental cells that flake off and enter your circulation. And like I said before, there's about a 1% chance when the placenta has more than one genetic makeup, and then the baby has its own genetic makeup. And so it cannot rule out that the abnormality is at the level of the placenta only, okay? But if you get this test, you're like, what do I do with it now? Okay. So usually they're going to send you to someone like me who does maternal fetal medicine, who's going to counsel you about your options. One, you can get genetic amniocentesis, which is that test where we insert a needle into the uterus under ultrasound guidance. We would draw fluid around the baby and we send that for genetic makeup. But let me let you know that Klinefelter syndrome is a sex chromosome abnormality, meaning instead of an X and a Y in these boys, These boys have two X's and a Y. So it's XXY syndrome is another name for Klinefelter syndrome. And we know that most people are walking around with Klinefelter syndrome and they don't even know it. So people come into my office all the time. I had three cases of Klinefelter syndrome this week. People come into my office all the time because, oh my God, I have a baby with Klinefelter syndrome. I'm like, your baby is going to look like a baby. And... Yes, the more excess you have, the lower the intellect in a baby can be with 10% of babies with Klinefelter's being related to autism. Now, whether that is cause autism or not, we don't know. But we do know there is a slightly higher risk of autism in Klinefelter's babies than not. But we also see that any cognitive delay that Klinefelter's babies have, whether they're misdiagnosed with autism or not, usually is treated with early intervention. But that means that 90% of Klinefelter's babies or children have very normal, if not above normal, intellect. Okay, so a lot of people walking around with Klinefelter syndrome and don't even know it. The biggest thing with Klinefelter's is they have that extra X so they can have a lower testosterone level, which can affect distribution of fat. So some of those boys... They're usually taller, but they can have female distribution of fat. So they can have wider hips. They can have um, almost like man boobs. Okay. So they have a little bit more like tissue in the chest, in the chest. Um, But if they're treated early with, uh, you know, testosterone treatments and things like that, then you can't even tell. And like I said, there are a lot of men that don't have Klinefelter syndrome that also have Increased distribution of fat in their hips or may have a little bit heavier chest. So if you're looking around and looking at your husband and like, do you have Klinefelter syndrome? Nine times out of ten, the answer is no. But I'm saying that to say, Klinefelter syndrome, it's hard to tell, okay? So this is not some one of the diagnoses that I usually encourage people to get confirmatory testing because... You can't tell the difference. The only reason we know about Klinefelter syndrome is because you got the NIPT. We can't see anything on ultrasound. Usually these kids go through school just fine. They may hit puberty and start to have a different distribution of fat, but a lot of these These kids are athletes because they're taller. So, you know, this is not going to be something that is life changing. Okay. the biggest thing and the most important thing with Klinefelter syndrome is if you see a learning disability, make sure that those children have early therapy quick. And if you have a, a child that has a lower testosterone level, you know, make sure they have some supplements so that they will not have as much female distribution of fat. For the most part, that's it, okay? And a lot of babies, with uh, not even babies, adult men with Klinefelter syndrome, by the time they become adults, that you can't even tell, okay? It's the puberty time that is the the concern for men or boys with Klinefelter syndrome. The case pro for this case is The positive predictive value for Klinefelter syndrome or XXY syndrome is only 64%. So there's a chance that your baby doesn't even have it because we can't rule out placental mosaicism. Okay, confirmatory testing can be done, but most people with XXY syndrome live completely normal lives. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our
3: second case is a 38 year old who presents for ultrasound and consultation due to an abnormal quad screening for T21. Based on her quad screen, she has a 1 in 290 chance of having a baby with Down syndrome. Her anatomy ultrasound done by her OBGYN's office was normal with the exception of a placental lake. She was offered an NIPT in her OBGYN's office, but she would like genetic counseling with you first.
2: All right, so this is such a typical consult and it's such a typical case that's sent to me. And I will say, one, a quad screen is not that sensitive. It's only... Seventy-eight to eighty percent. Excuse me, seventy-eight to eighty-six percent, depending on the lab. Sensitive for detection of Down syndrome, and it's even less sensitive for the other, you know, common chromosomal abnormalities like, you know, uh, trisomy eighteen. And then the quad doesn't test for trisomy thirteen. It tests for open neural tube defects or spina bifida. For Down syndrome specifically, it is going to not be as sensitive. And I say that because. Quad screen tests four different hormones and it tests it based on the level of hormones of a 35 year old being the cutoff. So, if you're over 35, then of course your hormone level is not going to be of a 35 year old. So, you're already at increased risk. So, based on a quad, if you have over a one in 300 chance, which is going to be your cutoff for a quad syndrome based on your age, you're automatically gonna have a super high false positive rate so when somebody that's 38 comes in with an abnormal quad and i do an ultrasound on them and their ultrasound is completely normal then i breathe light because i know it's probably just a flaw of the test okay and if you're an ob-gyn and you're listening stop doing quad screens on these women that are 35 or older. just stop it just stop doing it it is like it leads to unnecessary anxiety For no apparent reason. We already know that you're putting somebody that's 38, 39, 40 against the hormones of somebody that's 35. That's just not fair. And it doesn't test placental cells or fetal cells. It is literally saying, oh, your hormone level is higher than the level of a 35-year-old, so you have a higher risk of having a baby with Down syndrome. Why do that? Like, you're already putting me, I already know I'm over 35. Thank you for telling me with the quad. That's all it's saying. The next step that I would do after I do an ultrasound to determine if there's any findings on your baby is I would offer you tests, further testing. And I would offer you testing with a a genetic amniocentesis, which like I said, is 99.2% sensitive for detection of Down syndrome. Or I would offer you the non-invasive prenatal screen, which is, excuse me, let me back back. The genetic amniocentesis is 100% sensitive for trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. The non-invasive prenatal screen or NIPT is 99.2% sensitive. So some people want to get the NIPT first, and if it's negative, that's reassuring. Some people want to go more definitive and get the amniocentesis because it's 100%. Now, you have to realize that the amniocentesis does have its risk. But if your NIPT comes back positive or high risk, if I should say high risk, because it's a screen still high risk for Down syndrome, if there's no finding, then I would say, hey, I would recommend that you get a genetic amniocentesis to rule out the fact that these abnormal cells could just be at the level of the placenta. Now, if the genetic amniocentesis came back positive, then we know, yeah, that the baby has Down syndrome. But if the genetic amniocentesis is normal, then we know the baby does not. Now, when would I not recommend getting confirmatory tests with amniocentesis? It's not that I wouldn't recommend that you shouldn't get confirmatory testing. Is that if you had a non-invasive prenatal test or that blood test that's more sensitive, and I had a baby with a heart defect or a brain defect, you know, findings that were consistent with Down syndrome, I would tell you, based on your screen and based on your ultrasound, there's a super high chance of this baby having Down syndrome. I would tell you that. And if you needed that amniocentesis to be 100% sure, then I would do it. But I would counsel you and treat you as if the baby had Down syndrome, if I had findings on the ultrasound with, a, with the blood test to go with it. Just to recap, in stepwise fashion, quad screen is not that sensitive in somebody that's over 35. I would offer the NIPT or the non-invasive prenatal screening test as a better test for anybody over 35. And really it's now the standard for anybody in pregnancy. Quad screen is not the standard anymore. And then if your NIPT or that blood test came back positive, then I would offer you an amniocentesis, especially if there were no findings on ultrasound. The case pearl for this case is quad screen should not be done on patients over 34 years old due to the high false positive rate. All right, medical intern, what's our email question today? This one
3: says, Dr. Plenty, I have an IVF pregnancy and had a pre-implantation genetic screening that was negative. Now I'm 19 weeks and three days and have a baby with fluid on the kidney and a VSD. My baby is also measuring about a week behind. My OBGYN said she is going to refer me to an MFM physician for genetic testing but I'm not sure that I need it. If my pre-implantation genetic testing was normal, doesn't that mean that my baby has no genetic issues?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, this is something that is a common misunderstanding. So you do IVF and then you do pre-implantation genetic screening. And what that means is they will fertilize, you know, the firm and the egg are put together and then make an embryo. Okay. And then they will test that embryo and make sure that genetically there is nothing major going on. So there's no Down syndrome. There's no trisomy 18. There's no extra copies of chromosomes. But pre-implantation genetic testing does have up to a 10% false negative rate. It depends on the lab, but up to that. And I have seen... Conditions. I've personally seen cases where I've had babies that had abnormalities and the parents had pre-implantation genetic testing and they were told that they implanted a normal embryo and the baby ends up with Down syndrome. I will never, ever, ever forget the two cases that I had like that. And I always tell people now, like, do not forget to read the fine print. This is not a 100%. It's good. It's, it rules out most genetic issues, but it doesn't rule out all of them. And so if you had normal pre-implantation genetics and now you have a baby that has you know hydronephrosis or too much fluid in the collect in the in the pelvis of the kidneys and you have a VSD or ventricular septal defect, which is just a fancy name for a hole in the heart, that's two findings. You know, and then the add the fact that the baby is smaller to that Then we have, you know, three findings that put you at an increased risk of having this baby with a genetic problem. Now, can the baby be smaller just because there's a heart defect? Well, yeah, but this heart defect was diagnosed on a basic ultrasound from a general OBGYN. So it could be a complex heart defect that just couldn't be diagnosed by your OB. I mean, most OBGYNs are not really diagnosing you know, small VSDs, it's going to be a moderate to large VSD or ventricular septal defect, which is a hole between the septum, okay, of the heart. And so it could be something complex. So you definitely need a detailed ultrasound of the baby and you need a fetal echocardiogram, which is a, a detailed heart study during pregnancy of the baby to see really what this defect is. And with a heart defect and you know enlarged kidneys, you know, I would definitely recommend that you get a genetic amniocentesis to make sure that your baby is genetically normal. You could have these findings with a genetically normal baby, but you you have to rule it out. Okay. At the very least, I would get uh non-invasive prenatal screening or the blood tests. Because with those two findings, or really three with a small baby, because babies that are smaller are more likely to be genetically abnormal, with those three findings, I would definitely uh, at least do the NIPT or the non-invasive prenatal test to see if this is something common like Down syndrome or trisomy 18. If it's just a VSD with enlarged kidneys and a small baby, this is screaming, hey, maybe this baby has an increased risk of Down syndrome. Or... A mosaic form of Down syndrome, okay, meaning not all their cells have three complete copies. That can happen in a baby too. Or you go straight to amniocentesis to confirm and rule out other chromosome abnormalities as a cause of this. Okay, hopefully this this is not. But I do agree that you need at least the blood test to rule out the three most common things if not the genetic amniocentesis, to look at other chromosomes to see if there are any defects there that can be caught uh, during the pregnancy. And this is not to scare you because this can be completely normal, but I would be doing you a disservice to tell you, oh yeah, if your pre genetic testing was normal, then that means your baby can't have a genetic defect. And I know that that's, that's not true. Yeah, it's still a, a, a small a small chance, but the chance is significant. All right, so I believe that's all of our cases for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head, yes. So thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearl's podcast. I hope you've learned a little bit more about genetic screening with the non-invasive genetic screen or the NIPT. If you like the show, Make sure to rate, comment, and share with your friends. Per usual, if you are someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. And make sure to catch up on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash pregnancy with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening.
1: specific questions regarding a medical condition pregnancy pearls is a mean old lion media production
0: you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement